Welcome in to the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Oh boy, what a week it was. What a weekend it was across this wonderful sport. I got in from Clearwater 20 minutes ago. I'm Gray Robertson. That's Tara Henry, of course, the spectacular Tara Henry, who I got to see this past weekend, Tara. And this is another episode of the D1 Softball Podcast. Tara, it was so good to see you down in Florida. What a time we had at the uh, Tax Act Clearwater Invitational presented by Evo Shield. Uh, yeah, easy for us both to say. Uh, great to see you, Gray. I flew back this morning um, from Clearwater, made it back to the West Coast, and just excited to jump on here and just really talk about the weekend because it was incredible to be in Clearwater. And like you said, we got to hang out a little bit and we'll talk about what we saw at arguably, I think, the best tournament that we've seen in a really long time. Absolutely. It was a ton of fun. That'll be coming up later in the show. But of course, Tara, we have to talk about our friends at S2 Cognition who are doing such a great job helping out softball players all across the country. Yeah, it's incredible. Head on over to SQ Cognition and and take a look at what they do and just excited to have them as partners and have them sponsoring this podcast and, and really looking at how uh, players can identify pitches and, and what their strengths are in terms of using their, using their preferences um, and obviously cognitive ability. But thanks so much to our partners at S2 Cognition uh, for sponsoring this podcast. And of course, everybody, don't forget the podcast code that you can use on d1softball.com podcast 20 that's for 20 percent off of an annual subscription to all the wonderful content that you can find on d1softball.com okay tara let's dive in with the leadoff We're not going to spend a ton of time in the leadoff. It's basically just a quick slap where I mean, we're just getting on base as fast as possible. We have to talk about Baylor and Oklahoma, the Bears pulling off the upset over the Sooners, and we will do that in just a little bit with the head coach of the Baylor Bears, Glenn Moore, who will be joining us on the podcast in about 15 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Just for the Baylor Bears to come out and have no fear and our own Graham Hayes I spoke to Glenn Moore in the fall and they're not afraid to play anybody. And I love that about Glenn Moore. He had done that in the previous year playing uh, down OU down in Hawaii. So again, you see that the Baylor bears had what it take uh, took yesterday uh, to beat the number one, then the number one team in the country. And that'll be a big part of our conversation. Of course, coming up with Glenn Moore, the head coach of Baylor. We'll also be talking later about the new D1 softball top 25 that came out today. So if you have questions about that, please submit them now. We'll be taking live questions later on in the show. But we've gotten everything out of the way, Tara. It's time to find out the answer to the age-old question, <laughs> where in the world is Tara Henry? And for the first time, but not the last time, Tara Henry was also where Gray Robertson was. We were both in Clearwater for that wonderful tournament that we saw this past weekend, Tara. And there's so much to discuss. Uh, what are the main storylines that stick out for you after watching, I feel like, thousands of hours of softball the last four days? Yeah, I think we can both agree. And, and Gray, you and I were there, so we saw this live. I think we were even thinking that UCLA was the number one team in the country before OU dropped that game to Baylor and, and you had mentioned it in our group text and uh, I was right there with you watching the Bruins for them to come back against Louisiana um, after you know making two really critical errors uh, for those two and Savvy Pola and Maya Brady to come back and get those clutch hits um, watching the Bruins play Oklahoma State's offense I mean Gosh, they were fun to watch this past weekend, and this is against the top competition. We'll talk a little bit about Alabama's win over Florida State last night. That was incredible on ESPN, but just really quality opponents. UCF um, coming up big last night again in the last game uh, over Mississippi State, but if you haven't had a chance to go to the Tax Act Clearwater uh, Invitational, I highly recommend it. Now, there are some things that I think we need some more seats. And I think you would agree with that, Gray. But you maybe had the best seat in the house. Well, we figured out that the sound mixing was not great for radio when you were sitting right behind home plate. There were a couple people who were on the phone. 
asking questions quite loudly to the person they were talking to. So we decided, because that's another thing, infrastructurally, we could uh, make some adjustments to help out radio folks who, who maybe don't use Wi-Fi or who do use Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi was hit or miss a lot uh, of the weekend. Um, but because of all that, we moved out to the outfield perch terra. And I got to tell you, that's a really fun place to watch a softball game, especially when Ashley Prangy almost hits you with a home run ball. If you haven't seen that clip, I highly suggest you find it on Twitter. It's circulating everywhere. Uh, it, it really is a, a great place to watch softball. And it's such an interesting angle because you get to see a, a little bit of, of a different side of pitching. You can, I think, get more respect for what the fielders are having to go through, especially on the infield uh, with a track that sometimes isn't totally prepared for the game because there's such a quick turnaround that comes. Um, it, it was yeah, really I mean fascinating to me. I mean, great. You know, that's the best place to watch a game. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I can't believe you haven't been out there before. I mean, you could see everything out from the outfield. Um, always my favorite place to watch a game. I mean, Tom and I had talked about doing a game at Rhodes from the party deck. Maybe we will now. We've, we've gotten a taste and we liked it. And I do think Alabama, Tara, is, is one of the big winners from this weekend. You know, you look at the records yep. in Clearwater, UCLA and Oklahoma State 5-0. and uh, we'll talk more about them in just a bit. Duke, a great kind of under the radar, great weekend at four and one. And then Alabama right there as well at four and one on the weekend. And to cap it off with that win over Florida State last night, can't believe that was last night in prime time, <laughs> an epic pitcher's duel. So much fun to watch. And just another classic added to the Clearwater, you know, shelf in prime time that we've seen since this tournament began. And it was packed. It was a packed house. I was sitting, there's there's these two media seats behind the plate and just being engulfed by all these fans. And, you know, most of that stadium was Florida State. And you know that, uh, Gray. There was a tiny section with some of the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, making noise. But what an atmosphere. You cannot get an atmosphere like that in February. It was very Women's College World Series-like. Uh, it was very much like OKC. And like you said, I feel like Florida State is always in those those tight games. But can't say enough about Montana Fouts. We always talk about her strikeouts. But what I really liked from Montana is that she kept the ball down. Uh, and induce a ton of ground outs uh, last night. And I think that was key. Nobody was elevating. They weren't as much elevating the ball um, out of the infield. Uh, and, and I really, really like what I saw from Montana and, and really thought she settled in uh, for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, she had something happen in that UCLA game right around the middle where some kind of switch flipped. And after that, she was pretty difficult to get a hold of. I mean, the relief innings against UCF, she was literally untouchable. And then last night against Florida State, it looked like the Montana that we have seen so many times in the past and that Alabama, I know, has been hoping uh, will make a, a big grand appearance. And we saw that this weekend. I thought uh, it was it was just one of those classic softball games, one of those where one key hit is going to make the difference. And it was Alabama that got those hits. And I know just as somebody who's who spends a lot of time with the team because of my job to get the Florida state monkey off your back after losing six in a row to the Seminoles, that felt really good. And Tara, I wouldn't be shocked if we see those two in OKC because that was a high level softball game last night. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, Gary. I was really concerned with Alabama at last week. And I would argue that watching that team, I think they found their identity this week, and I really believe we're going to look back at Clearwater as a turning point for the Crimson Tide. And again, like you said, people stepped up and and having Montana on the mound and her mixing up and down. And I mean, when she she really masters that off speed, she's going to be scary, crazy to, to face. But um, yes, what what a, what an experience! What an incredible weekend! And and can't say enough about uh, Clearwater ESPN forty games in four days what it was I mean I'm still trying to make sure that my eyes are are open both of us have had very little sleep but uh what an event all right let's uh let's talk about some of the teams that maybe didn't do as well as we thought Tara who do you feel like didn't have as strong a showing in Clearwater as maybe we expected well you got Virginia Tech I mean still like I watched Emma Lemley throw um you know a loss to Oklahoma State a, a close loss to Oklahoma State, obviously losing to UCLA, but the loss to Arizona um, was a little bit concerning. And um, I did get to watch Lemmy throw it, and she's tough. 
Uh, and I think when MLM lays on the mound um, with that offense, because the Hokies can hit too, um, just, you know, didn't see a, a, a ton out of them. So I would say uh, that Virginia Tech was the one I'm, I'm still kind of waiting to see what they do next week. Gray, what are your thoughts? I totally agree. I, I thought that some of the starting decisions by Pete Damore were interesting, to say the least, for certain games. And I know he said to some of the ESPN folks that he wanted to get some of the younger players these big innings and, and big experiences. You know, but at the same time, you also want to win some of those games. And Emma Limley uh, also being a, a pitcher who took a loss in Clearwater as well. Uh, it, it, I don't know. There were just some some decisions that were made uh, that that surprised me. Uh, they missed a golden opportunity against Oklahoma state after coming back in that game and not being able to quite shut the door. The other team I want to talk about who, who didn't really, I don't want to say disappointed me. I'm kind of mixed, honestly, after this weekend is Arkansas. They go three yeah. and two in Clearwater, but the two games they lose are against, you know, the, the ranked teams that they played uh, their very first two games of the event. And every concern that I had about the Razorbacks was kind of confirmed in Clearwater, and they didn't do anything on the field to make me feel better about what they're going to look like the rest of the year. Now, this is a team that has at times gotten off to slow starts and then rolled through the first few weekends of SEC play. So who knows? They could still get it rolling. But I didn't see what I wanted to see in particular pitching-wise from the Hogs here this weekend to make me feel better about them going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Gray and I, I got to watch um, a couple of the Razorbacks games, and you know I think that pitching that pitching piece is going to be important for them. Like you said, going into conference play and, and the SEC, it's it's there's no breath, you know there's there's no break every weekend. Uh, you're going to need an entire staff, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, in the circle. And, and I agree with you. I think those were the two that I looked at and obviously Arizona, but um, there's some, some shining moments uh, for uh, the Wildcats there in Caitlin Lowe's squad, but a tough weekend for them as well. But again, this is tough competition. So these are all, most of those teams, there are top 25 teams. So a great way to get your squad prepared heading into conference play. Absolutely. And one of the best games that we saw in Clearwater Terra was Duke and UCF. I'm going to try and press the correct graphic. <laughs> nope, that's the wrong one. Let's do the other one. Duke-UCF, a really good battle, as we talked about. Duke had a, a kind of under-the-radar phenomenal 4-1 and one weekend. The one loss is by a run to Alabama, and UCF had some really tough luck, especially on the day they played Duke. This was a 10-inning game that they lost by a run and a walk-off immediately followed by an eight inning game that they lost by run and a walk off to Alabama. But this is one of the crazier contests that we saw down this weekend. Yeah. So our win probability model, we just pulled what was the most exciting game of the weekend. The funny part about this gray is I was actually sitting at this game behind the plate with Eric Lopez, our good friend, Eric Lopez. And then that UCLA Florida state game got close. So I hopped on the trolley and I actually got on the trolley, which we did some off-roading on that trolley. I don't know if anybody took the trolley this weekend, but I've got a good video. Uh, there, No fear with those trolley drivers, but took the trolley back. So I missed the end of this game, and I can't believe it because it is it was one of the most exciting games of the weekend. But, again, can't say enough about Duke and UCF. I think both of those teams are scary good and are going to give people problems not only in conference play but in the postseason. Um, if they can you know, get that pitching short up, but they can hit, um, and are scrappy uh, and get things done. And like you said, I think uh, Duke had a very impressive weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we I was not planning on watching much of this because I thought we would be arriving in the perfect time for Alabama UCF. And then we get there and we're like, wait, hold on. Duke UCF is still happening. I guess we'll go watch. So I walked over with the coaches for Alabama. We sit down, we see two pitches, and then the game ends. <laughs> so it, it was—it really was a good, a good weekend overall for for the Blue Devils. I thought Claire Davidson was phenomenal in the circle at the plate. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see where they fit into the ACC race. We're not going to talk a ton about that conference race overall tonight, but Florida State had some good moments and some moments of, eh, you know, they're they're still not quite where they want to be. Clemson looked amazing this weekend against Northwestern. And then, you know, Duke and Virginia Tech are going to be right there as well. But the Blue Devils, to me, feel like a team 
that is going to make it difficult for Florida State and Clemson, but will probably slide in around third in the conference. I mean, I think it's up for grabs, and we saw that the Seminoles this past weekend, well, you're playing, obviously you're facing Montana Fout, so uh, there's going to be a little bit of leeway there. But you saw that there's a little bit of chink in that armor. But again, what I love about Lonnie Alameda and that staff is she gives every arm a, a chance to throw and really – really focuses on the number of times her pitches pitchers are facing an opposing batter, right? So um, it's a, a very different approach. It's a pitch by committee approach. Um, you might not like it. You might like it. But what I love about Lonnie is she's looking ahead to the postseason and she doesn't want to give uh, batters that many looks. That's why I was surprised Sander Cox stayed in so long, but what an incredible battle they had back and forth um, again. And I love the way this, the, the, uh, uh, Knowles run the bases. They're so aggressive on the base pass, always looking to take the next base. Even to stole last night, uh, I believe it was a six or what is it, sixth inning or seventh inning? Um, seventh stealing, inning, yeah. se seventh inning, stealing second. And again, uh, a team in the ACC, obviously at the top most of the time, but um, a team to, to keep an eye on and and see how they, they head into next week. We will have the Baylor head coach, Glenn Moore, hopping on with us in just a moment. But until then, Tara, I do want to spend a moment chatting about an issue that kind of popped up this week. And I don't really know why it did. Or maybe I do. I don't know. We'll see. I'll see. I'll talk to Montana this week. But wild pitches mm. in Clearwater throughout the tournament. It was something that Tom and I on the broadcast really noticed when Alabama and Duke we're throwing a bunch combined. And then our, our friend Karen Johns at ESPN sent the stat. The last number I saw was 57 overall for the tournament going into the weekend night session. Really strange to see that many control issues across the board. I, when I, when I looked at that stat, Karen sent it over and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And then thinking back, I was buying the dish. I was buying the plate for most of those games and there were a lot of wild pitches. So I don't know if if you're right, Gray. I don't know if it's control issues early, just getting into the swing of things, pitchers and catchers, you know, getting to know one another. But an alarming amount of wild pitches this weekend in Clearwater and, and across all fields. It just wasn't one field. I mean, I sat at field eight for most of the weekend and wild pitches or home runs. It was one or the other. <laughs> Because <laughs> I I, let me tell you, I saw a lot, a lot of balls leave the yard this weekend in Clearwater, and um, but a, an alarming amount of wild pitches. And I'm going to have our friends at six four three actually pull that up and see if we can get a comparison from last year uh, to this year, because it would be interesting to look at to see if there is a trend here uh, or if it's, this is just an outlier this week. Yeah, and it was also interesting to see it. You know, it, it did kind of calm down a little bit in some of the games where there was more of a break as they were kind of resetting the field. I do wonder if the track itself was kind of part of the problem. And during the Alabama Florida state game, in fact, I believe going into the top of the second inning, we saw the grounds crew come out talking with Montana Fouts and with Lance McMahon as they tried to get some things fixed in the circle. So I wonder if that was part of the problem as well. I mean, it could be, it could be, it's a lot of wear and tear on those fields. Those are a lot of games. I mean, they're used all the time as Eddie Seymour complex and that, that would be something to speak to some of the pitchers about, but at any rate, when you're, you're going on 40 games uh, on a weekend, that's a lot of games being played and just field maintenance and, and allowing um, those crews to come in and get them ready. Cause it, it was, it was a better um, amount of time in between games. I must say actually though, gray this year. Um, they did allow uh, a good amount of time. And I think we we're only behind maybe once or twice, but um, yeah, field conditions conditions are always an issue, but again, an alarming amount of, of wild pitches. One more thing I want to discuss before we uh, talk to Glenn Moore, the head coach at Baylor, the number twos, not a great weekend for number twos across the board. There were, there were a couple that were fine. You know, Brooke Yanez was fine. I mean, uh, Lauren Esman got a, a really good complete game victory for Alabama there. You know, there were some fine performances, but <laughs> I, thought you were, the, I thought you were, I thought you were saying number twos, like Jersey number twos. I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, he's really done some great research here. <laughs> In the 12 minutes that I was home after arriving from Clearwater. No, but the number two pitchers, they seem to struggle a little bit more this weekend than I think we anticipated. And we saw a lot of aces for Ramo, Sandercock, 
Fouts, just to name a few, have to come in in relief a good bit this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still so early. And when you're talking about number twos, I think a lot of teams are just preparing better as well. They're not just preparing for the ace. That- we're on what was happening in Clearwater. Until things got interesting on Sunday, it's time for the cleanup hitter. We are pleased to be joined by our cleanup hitter, the head coach of the Baylor Bears, Glenn Moore. Coach, thank you so much for hopping on the D1 Softball Podcast. We've got to talk about this game, the victory over the Oklahoma Sooners, 4-3. to three. What a spectacular showing by your team on Sunday, and I think in particular within the context of knowing how close you were in Norman last year in that third game of the series to beating them this season you get the job done. What was the difference this year closing out the victory against the Big Bad Sooners? Well, we we caught the last last out, I guess, and we dropped it a year ago. That was the big difference. But, you know, we, we had a, a young team last year, and I was very proud of how they handled the number one team in the country competing against them last year. And I think, uh, you know, you knock on that door long enough and uh, you're going to eventually get your opportunity. And we took advantage of it Sunday. Had some great performances. It wasn't an accident that we beat them. Uh, not that we could do it every time, obviously. I've got great respect for them, but our, our team was ready to play. And coach, I was able to watch OU in the first weekend here at the Mark Campbell Classic, and I was seeing a little bit of a different team. Do you think they are different without Jocelyn Allo in the lineup? I mean, that's obviously a huge impact player, but you got to face them and see them in person. Um, do you believe they are a lot different and why so? Well, I don't think they're a lot different. They still have a ton of uh, All-Americans and great athletes that aren't All-Americans as well. But I do think one person and uh Someone like Aloe is, uh, you know, picks everybody else up and makes everybody else a little bit better. And but they're extremely talented nonetheless. And uh, you know, you kind of still pick your poison with who you want to pitch to and how you want to pitch them. And uh, this is early in the season, and we were fortunate enough to to be ready to play them when maybe they're not at midseason form. And and uh, you know, we're not either at the at the same time, but. Uh, uh, but I think um, I think they're very, very good still. Oklahoma made the mistake of pitching to Shaylin Govan. We just showed the video a little bit ago, that three-run homer that was the big swing, really the decider of this game. And what an impact she has already made on your program, transferring in from Stephen F. Austin, where she had a great career there. What have you seen from her in her first games in a Baylor uniform? You know, she is a special kid. She's... Um, uh, she's got some qualities as a hitter that uh, not the average person does doesn't have. Uh, she can see the ball longer. A lot of hitters have to make a decision right out of the hand um, or let it travel, and she she can make a decision, you know, 15 feet out of the hands. Uh, she can pick up speeds. She'll get fooled occasionally, but not back to back usually. Or um, can go to all fields. Tremendous bat speed. So. Um, you know, we're going to have to hit well around her to protect her. And I think we have some hitters that can do that. But, uh, you know, she's not going to sneak up on anybody anymore. And Coach, you used two arms in the victory, Ormi and Vinford. Do you believe that that's um, how you're going to be managing that staff throughout the season and more by pitch for by committee? I know the game has changed significantly and and using more than one arm in a game is is now uh, common. But is that what you see out of your staff uh, heading into conference play? Well, I really think we can, and uh, it gives us the option of doing that, and it's certainly a, a good mix. And I think the, the the time would have been right to make the change against Oklahoma because of the lineup we're facing and how they adjust to pitching. But we had her on a pitch count because of the offseason rehab that she's been through and uh, really is throwing better than we anticipated this early. 
but to answer your question, I could see us doing that, but we're hoping to get her to a point where she can have, uh, you know, throw complete games and maybe she could now, but we're playing it safe and we have a strong enough bullpen to, to be able to do that. We're pleased to be joined by our cleanup hitter, the head coach at the Baylor at uh, Baylor, Glenn Moore. And coach, you've got a number in front of your name now this year uh, after that win over Oklahoma, ranked him a D1 softball poll, ranked in the NFCA, hopefully more polls as they come out as the week progresses. What do you want to see from your team now there, that there is that rankings pressure, especially going into a weekend where you've got a team like Minnesota coming in, who's always tough, and a team like Maryland, who's off to a fantastic yeah. start this year? Yeah. I, you know what, if I could have my wish with this team, it would be that we continue to do the things that we've done since we finished last season at the NISC. Uh, they've worked hard. They've played with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, feeling like we did, you know, we had kind of let ourselves down the last couple of years and um, not performed as well as this program has traditionally. So I don't want to change a whole lot. We're, we're on the way back and we have good talent. Um, I, I told the staff this morning, I want to do the things that got us to this point. We haven't arrived because we uh, had, there was an upset win. There's upsets everywhere um, this time of year. And uh, we've got to make sure that we keep it in perspective. All this attention is nice. And uh, that's the way sports go. It, it, it will go so for you. But uh, we want to keep having uh, the enjoyment of playing the game that this team has and uh, work on the weaknesses and get better every every outing. And you're right, we have a great feel coming in, um, some, some very good competition, and uh, we've got to be prepared for that and make sure we don't get distracted too much or, or think too highly of ourselves because we're not, we're not a great team yet. We're a good team. And Coach Moore, I've been able to play against you. I've been around a couple decades and been able to see the Baylor Bears um, and what you've done uh, with that program over the years. I want to know how has the sport changed? Cause you've seen it change and it's gone through various iterations, but how have you seen it changed and, and to where we are at today uh, here in 2023? Well, you know, I've been around long enough to, to have seen the, the small ball becoming a factor in the sport when it wasn't traditionally. And, and I really uh, love that part of it. And six four, two 250 pounds, you wouldn't think slapping would be important to me, but I love the pressure <laughs> and the, uh, the the way we uh, are able to manip manipulate uh, defenses and and uh, just pour it on. Uh, but it has evolved in more of a power hitting game, as we know. I'm a little slower to change because I am a little old fashioned, but we have evolved into a little bit more of that. We still have good speed, but we don't use a small ball as much as we used to. A lot of that has to do with rule changes and out of the box calls. And we were getting burned a lot of kids that have been training their whole life to slap a certain way. And now they're getting called out in crucial situations. So, so we've had to evolve a little slower than most probably. And, um, you know, the, the long balls, significant fans like it, uh, but, uh, you know, my heart is still with small ball and, and the pressure game, uh, but we've made that transition. And I think uh, we're starting to catch back up, uh, if you will. That That's changed. The 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 athletes have changed. Uh, you know, you're seeing more and more 68, 70, 71 mile an hour pitchers, and you're still having the offense. Um, so it's just fun to see the evolution of the athlete uh, to play there was a time when I recruited mostly shortstops because that was the best athlete on the field from a travel ball organization. And we'd plug them into center field or wherever we needed them. And now you recruit right fielders. You know, you recruit kids that can uh, that specialize in those areas. So the whole game has just evolved and to such a and I was telling the staff this morning also about how many great teams there are out there. There's great teams that aren't even receiving votes right now. And uh, that's the beauty of it. So it's it's great to see that kind of investment uh, pay off into a, a sport that so many are benefiting from. Yeah, and I know Tara's going to ask about conference realignment in just a minute, but I, I did want to ask about the health of the sport overall as well, because we've seen the parity like you just talked about. The ratings are ridiculous, and they have been the last few years. I can't wait to see what primetime at Clearwater looked like when those numbers come out. When you look at softball on a national landscape in terms of the attention it's bringing in from the outside world, how healthy do you feel like this sport is right now? You know, you can compare it to any sport, and we're right there with the best uh, uh, from a, um, 
a rating standpoint it's off the charts people love it everywhere you go now people know names of uh the top level players um you mentioned Josh Jocelyn Allo earlier I mean people knew her that didn't even know anything about softball so it's just uh it's a beautiful thing to see but it's it's no accident it's a great sport played by great athletes tremendous athletes that uh, can do anything on on any level so it's it's just um, yeah I think a lot of nationally it's become such a, a big sport that uh we're talked about internationally and coach more gray mentioned uh the conference realignment with with Texas and uh, OU leaving for the SEC and, and gaining, uh, you know, some big softball schools as well and, and in UCF and BYU, Houston, Cincinnati. But um, what are your thoughts on that and, and and the new realignment for the Big 12? Yeah, I, I like the schools that are coming into the Big 12 and excited about them. You know, BYU and, and uh, Central Florida have been a, a power for a while now. And um, I think moving into a power five conference like ours, uh, Houston, the market down there is incredible. The softball talent is there. So those programs are going to only get better, I think. And I, I'm very happy with the fact that we have more teams and, um, you know, losing Oklahoma and Texas, you just, you don't replace them equally, obviously, but uh, uh, especially Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, they're both powerful power, finished one, one and two last year. So you're not going to replace them equally, but I certainly think the programs that we're bringing in are uh, going to be softball powers. And coach, last thing for me, looking ahead on your schedule, I can't help but notice that Oklahoma will be back in Waco later on this year uh, for conference play. Obviously, you've got a, a lot of games until that point, but how excited are you to have the Sooners playing a three-game series at Baylor uh, one last time before they make the jump to the SEC? Well, can you let me enjoy this uh, Saturday victory, <laughs> Sunday victory a little bit longer before you start putting that in front of me? We're, uh, you know, you know, we're, not many schools. I have to credit our, our our program, our staff, and the willingness to play them out of conference. There's not a whole lot of people that would do that if you have to play them already three times and possibly a fourth in the Big 12 tournament. Um, but we're all about competition and seeing where the best are and trying to get to that level and. We're not where Oklahoma is. We know that. But, uh, you know, we're a lot better after playing them every time we play them and we compete against them. So, you know, we're excited when they come down. They'll certainly have a chip on their shoulder. So we'll see how much fight we have in our our uh, program, our girls. I, I don't anticipate we'll back down. I just want them to have to play great ball to beat us. And I tell the girls if if they bring less than their best game, then you make sure you're ready to knock them off. And um and they did that Sunday. Yeah, Coach, I think they proved that as well. I mean, I remember giving up five outs in one of the innings and still coming across with a W. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Coach Moore from the Baylor Bears. Uh, good luck this season, and uh, can't wait to see you out there. It's always an honor to, to be with you guys. Appreciate you having me. I'm not surprised that they got that win over OU. We talked a little bit about this, Gray. We, we, we think... OU's not the OU we saw last year, but uh, a huge, uh, I think, a huge test for them and something they're going to go back to the drawing board and and look back on. And Patty Gasso is going to get that squad fired up heading into the Mary Nutter. Absolutely. And, you know, a huge win for Baylor as well. I referenced it with Coach Moore when he first hopped on. They were so close last year in Norman to getting the victory. And, I mean, you catch one foul ball and you're walking out of there with, with a win over the big bad Sooners. They didn't get it this year to be able to close the door, I think was so impressive. And that's why they're ranked in the newest edition of the D1 softball top 25. It's time to take your questions out there. So please put it in the comments, send us some replies, ask some questions about the D1 softball top 25 and what prompted us to rank people where we will do our best to explain ourselves. Tara, I'll open up the questioning with yeah. a little debate that we had last night, late in the evening, between one, two, and three. One, two, and three in the poll for D1 is UCLA at one, Oklahoma at two, Oklahoma State at three. But 
there was a little bit more discussion about who should be at two than I think a lot of people would have expected. And we did talk about this and I got a lot of questions actually saying, why wasn't Oklahoma state at two? I think a lot of people thought that the cowgirls were going to get that number two spot, but you got to look at Florida. Uh, Florida's undefeated, just not high quality wins. Also, I don't know if you all can see this. We've got a new QR code. So if you want to go straight uh, to uh, the top 25. It's right there on the screen. I don't know if you're where you're watching this, but you can screenshot it and go straight to the top 25. But, you know, Gray said it first. Gray, Gray was ready to rank the Bruins before OU lost to Baylor. And I was right there with him. Uh, and then having UCLA, OU, this is the first time OU has been knocked off the top spot of our poll since February 22nd of 2021. Wow. That's a long time. That's that's tip of the cap. That that's really impressive. Uh and and for the record, I just opened up the discussion. I was not I was not saying I would do it, but then they lost to Baylor and I was like, ah well, you know, now we have to. Okay, UCLA's number one. I, I do think that there is I, I see a question right here. Uh any thought about OSU at number two? We'll we'll flash it up uh right now. Yeah. I, I thought about it for sure. In fact, on my ballot, I'll be absolutely honest. I had Oklahoma State at number two, and I wasn't the only one. Uh, I think that they've got better wins at this point. I think that their loss is looking way better. Um, not you know not a knock on Baylor, but Maryland is proving to be a possible Big Ten contender this year, which I don't think anybody was expecting. Um, so I, I did have Oklahoma State at two, but honestly – doesn't really matter because Oklahoma's about to see UCLA this weekend and they've got Kentucky and uh, they've, they've got Texas A&M. I, so it, it'll all clear up after the Mary Nutter. You know, I think looking at Oklahoma state, my only concern is the amount of runs that they've been giving up. And if you take a look at, OU, you take a look at Oklahoma state, you know, Lexi Kilfoyle the other day, she gave up, <clears throat> uh, you know, six, seven runs, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was sitting behind the plate and a lot of those balls, they were right down the middle. So they should have been hit out. They should have been hit solidly. So something that can be fixed, but again, it's a little bit of a concern for me in terms of the amount of runs given up by the cowgirls. And that's why for me, uh, OU sits in that number two spot and I have no problem having them as the number two team. And like you said, Gray, they've got, they're going to get tested again this weekend. So we'll be able to see if that was just a fluke with Baylor uh, or if they jump back and, and are the OU that we we've seen uh, uh, for the past couple of years. All right, we've got we've got a bunch that are uh, that are coming in. I want to answer this one. <laughs> Is it time to be concerned about OU this year from an OU fan? No, <laughs> it's Oklahoma. <laughs> They're gonna be fine. I'm just drinking my coffee. That was my answer to that. <laughs> no, no, it's they not. lost a game. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and Kinsey Hans is not even back. I mean. To be honest, right. that's probably a little bit scarier that they lost a game. I think they're going to be hungry heading into Palm Springs this weekend. So, no, I am not concerned about OU. Yeah. All right. One more. Uh, this is an interesting one. And then we'll dive into a couple more things before we close the show. How are Northwestern and UCF at 4-4 four and 5-5, four and five and five, respectively ranked above Missouri, who beat them both and is 9-2? and two. So the way that it goes in the official ranking is Northwestern at 22, dropping nine spots, UCF at 24, dropping five spots, and Missouri hopping into the polls uh, for the first time at number 25. Uh, Tara, I was looking at my ballot. I had Missouri behind Northwestern by a spot, but Northwestern, I think I had them down 11 after this weekend and two spots ahead of UCF. Uh, a big part of that is I still think Danielle Williams is – the best player of anybody on those three teams. And that's part of the reason why I kept them slightly ahead of Missouri. Um, but, but they'll have a chance this weekend at the Mary Nutter to make a statement, whether they should go up or whether we should push them out of the poll altogether. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And we had a, a chat about it on our staff and uh, just a reminder, they did get run rule by Texas uh, and didn't have great games. This is from our, our resident uh, bracketologist and uh, rankings guy, Brady Vernon. Uh, his answer is they didn't exactly have a, a they didn't look great against Pitt 
uh, and they also face Butler and FIU. But um, it's a consistency thing. And I think uh, with Mizzou, uh, Larissa Anderson, she gets that team ready to play. And I remember interviewing uh, Coach Anderson last year at the Mary Nutter. And again, a, a good challenge for Mizzou and a, and a great time for them to move up in the polls should they do well out here in Palm Springs. So we will do this again next week, answering your questions about the top 25. I don't know about you, Tara. I was up very late trying to figure out how the heck I was going to rank these teams. It's hard. It's yeah. not easy. It's kind of, I, like it's not as fun as people think it is, ranking people. I'm okay with it. I mean, you know, we do it every, every Sunday night, and it is late. And the reason we do it Sunday night is because uh, I think it's important for us to get this poll out and, and really get people uh, – uh, discussing what's happening in college softball and our staff works really hard and watches um, more games than I think um, the entire country. So uh, in terms of looking at the top 25, I truly believe that our poll uh, is uh, the best out of all the polls. And, and I, you don't have to always agree with it, right? Like nobody's, you're not going to make everybody happy. Uh, and I know there are some Texas fans uh, that that sent in some questions uh, about some some politics. And I'm excited to see how Texas does this weekend because that'll help me uh, rank them higher in our poll uh, should they they do well this weekend against Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. They had some tight games that probably shouldn't have been tight. But we spent enough time talking about the top 25. We'll do that next yeah. week. We've got to wrap up the oh, show wow. and we'll do it with our podcast players of the week and then three big things. We'll start, though, with the best of the best from week two. I'm calling an audible, Tara. I'm calling an audible. I had Ramo written down. I'm crossing it out. Bruins had a great weekend. Everybody knows that. I'm going to highlight the Stanford pitching staff. Great choice. They did in the two games against Georgia in Athens, a place that is very difficult to win. Trust me, seen it in person. And it's very difficult to shut down that Bulldogs offense. And Stanford did it in two different games with Kennedy and Vodder. Vodder doing it in 10 innings. I mean, it was really remarkable. Phenomenal job by Stanford making a big statement in week two after a so-so week one. Uh, you know, Gray, I love that Audible, number one. I think it's fantastic. And I, I remember watching our scores page on D1Softball.com. I kept hitting refresh because I couldn't believe that Georgia got shut out once and, and it was happening again. And I think Stanford is is a squad that that people need to, to keep an eye on. And Jessica Allister just really prepares her team um, to get out there and play every day. And again, that's a, a great staff. And, and adding Kennedy to that is incredible. Oh, my player of the week. I know we've got, we're running low on time. Player of the week for me, Kylie Naomi. Uh, these numbers are insane. Seven for 12, 12 RBRs and four home runs on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Against that competition, high caliber competition at Clearwater uh, on the national stage uh, on ESPN for her to do what she did this past weekend. It was just incredible to watch. Will the Cowgirls be mentioned in three big things? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> it's time for three big things. We might go a couple minutes over. I mean, what are we going to, are we going to get canceled? The D1 softball podcast canceled by <laughs> D1softball.com? No. I mean, the first big thing is of course the Mary Nutter, Tara. So many great matchups happening out in California. And the big one is inexplicably at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday when UCLA and Oklahoma play. Yeah, I mean, how about a Sunday morning uh, one-two matchup at the Mary Nutter? Can't wait. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, maybe a breakfast burrito. I'm very excited about that Sunday morning game. As you can tell, the good thing is if you're on the East coast, it'll be at 1230. So that's good, right? Uh, on flow softball, but yes, Mary Nutter still to this day. And, and I could be a bit biased and I probably am, but I think a tournament that brings out 
all the young softball players from across uh, Southern California and, and flying in as well for it to, it's a family atmosphere. Um, the competition, uh, the bar in the middle of the three fields, Gray, I don't know if you've been to the Mary Nutter. You've been I have Mary not, Nutter. but I'll go right now. <laughs> when you, when you mentioned that. There's a bar that. in the middle of three fields. So you can literally sit and in the bar, have a drink, have some dinner and watch three different games. And then you're able to walk to the outer fields, which is just, you know, three minute walk. Um, but yes, like you said, I'm also looking forward to this Florida UCLA matchup on Thursday. Uh, another big one, but I'll let you uh, talk about the other matchups that we're going to see at Mary Nutter. No, I like the ones that are a little under the radar-ish. Like, you're not sure if the better team is going to throw their ace. I'm looking at a Oklahoma-Texas A&M or a Mm -hmm. UCLA-Kentucky or, you know, games like that. Uh, Northwestern Oregon. Northwestern will have UCLA the next day. So who are they going to throw against an Oregon team that had a pretty good weekend last week? I don't know. I mean, those games where we could see upsets. I'm also looking at like a Cal State Fullerton, San Diego State, two teams out west here that are both playing very well. Uh, Fullerton, we didn't mention this, but just upset uh, Tennessee in Mexico. So, you know, Stacey Newman, head coach at San Diego State, uh, that team, the Aztecs, they had a great run last season uh, and to the regionals. But Kelly Ford has got her Titans, the Cal State Fullerton Titans, playing really well as well. So that's another one I've got circled on my list. Yeah, Fullerton with that. Sweep in Mexico of the SEC teams. Ole Miss into a, a heck of a weekend for Fullerton down south of the border. The second big thing for me, Tara, we've got that old home and home between the Cajuns and the Tigers. It's ULL versus last as they put each other in the stat broadcast. LSU <laughs> hosting Saturday, Louisiana hosting on Sunday, Tara. I hate to make the, the Cajun <clears throat> food pun, but you know it's going to be spicy when these two meet. Spicy. Yeah. I mean, watched Louisiana this past weekend, tough loss against UCLA and, and played tough uh, this weekend, but also LSU again, another team that has moved up in the rankings this week. Uh, we've got them at number 12 playing some pretty solid ball. Beth has got the Tigers playing pretty solid ball. So uh, another great matchup uh, to watch. Uh, heading into this weekend. Yeah. Will Jerry Glasgow let his pitchers stay in? We'll see. That'll be a question I'm going to watch. When he pulled San Landry after not giving up a hit to the Bruins, I was shocked. I really, really was shocked. And I was talking to uh, Rhiannon Potkey, one of our writers as well. She said the same thing to me. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot of pitch by committee, but sometimes we're almost still thinking, are we making too many moves? You know, I saw eight pitchers in one game. Uh, is making the game longer? Are we, are we doing too much? But yeah, no, I agree with you on that one, Gray. Yeah, and then LSU is finding ways to win games that they lost last year, walking off Utah, finding a way to escape a Central Arkansas team that they dropped a game to last year. So interesting litmus test for where both of those teams are as we get near the end of February. The last big thing, it's a, a rematch of Supers from 2021, Arizona go into Fayetteville to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks for a couple games out there, Tara. We saw both of those teams in Clearwater as well. I'm very fascinated to see how this goes. I mean, I I think Arizona had some bright spots and some not-so-good spots in Clearwater, and Arkansas has a chance to make a statement after, again, a mixed weekend in Week 2. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about this uh, and the pitching on both sides, and both those teams can hit. They've got incredible athletes uh, at the plate. We got a Carly Scoopin uh, and a and a Skaggs there for for Arizona. But the key, like you said, Gray, the key is going to be pitching, uh, and who's going to show up in the circle uh, is Devin. That's going to be able to um, hold the Arkansas Razorbacks, the Bogle Bombers, right uh, at bay. I love Bogle. One of my favorite ballparks to call a game in. It's great. Is it? I've never been oh, there. Yeah. Never? Well, you'll see Arkansas in person this year. So that's that's me oh, reminding yeah. you over a podcast to put that on your calendar. It's time to close the show and discuss what's on D1. <laughs>
We've gone a little bit over tonight, but that's what happens when you chat with the head coach of a team that just beat the number one team in the country. Tara, what's on the phenomenal website that is d1softball.com right now? You know, we've got everything that you need to know that happened last weekend. Uh, we've got what we learned, that, what the D1 softball staff uh, learned. We've got Re. She she went to Georgia and was able to watch Stanford and, and Georgia in person. We've got some Tara's takes up from from Clearwater, and we're going to get you primed and ready and prepped for the weekend uh, and and what to watch. Top 25's up. We'll have our players of the week. Maybe I, maybe I already said one of them on the podcast that that's going to be maybe our player of the week uh, this coming week. But players of the week will drop tomorrow. Uh, and then we've got some good stories uh, in the works for you to head on over to the site. Again, check out the win probability models on the scoreboard. Every single game in Division One, you can look at the win probability model. And don't forget the stats page, the stats piece. Every player has their own stats page. I don't know that you, our subscribers or our listeners or our viewers know this. Every player has a stats page. Uh, and we can take a look at this leaderboard by home runs. Uh, leading the nation, uh, we've got Jordan... Van Hook from Arizona State, uh, and Maya Bethea from Hawaii. Maya Brady uh, is there with five, but those two at the top with six home runs. So we've – sorry, I'm looking at those home runs on here. Uh, we've got all of those advanced stats uh, on the site. So head on over to d1softball.com. Uh, and as always, let us know what you think. You can send us an email uh, or you can tweet at Gray or myself, whatever <laughs> yeah. is here. Tweet at me. I'll pass it along to the proper channel. <laughs> Week two was mayhem, and I'm so glad that we got to discuss it here on the D1 Softball Podcast, presented by S2 Cognition. Tara, Lord knows what week three has in store, but I cannot wait to watch it all. I I couldn't agree more, and I'm so happy that we both made it to to be able to do this tonight. And I just want to thank everybody for your support and just got to speak to loads of people at Clearwater and, and we can't thank you enough for supporting us and our writers and our staff and, and hope. Um, and if there's anything more we can do, please let us know. Yes. And frankly, also your patience with me tonight after I rolled in 15 <laughs> minutes before the pod, after a 10 hour drive from the Clearwater area, what a phenomenal show again, make sure when you check out D one softball.com, you use the promo code podcast 20, for 20% off of an annual subscription. Thank you to the wonderful Glenn Moore, the head coach of Baylor, for hopping on with us. Our producer, Kelly Higby, for making sure everything is rocking and rolling behind the scenes. That's Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. That does it for the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. We'll see you next time, everybody.